This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Tuesday's episode. I was so excited to record this because I'm a huge fan of Dr. Shafali. After you listen to this episode, you will understand why. Everything she says, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, totally. Dr. Shafali has a new book out. This is her fourth parenting book. It is called The Parenting Map. Oprah has endorsed her work in conscious parenting as revolutionary. Okay, Oprah. Dr. Shefali is a clinical psychologist that specializes in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She is super impressive. And again, everything she says, I just love. And it's such important messaging. That's the thing. It's not like the frou-frou parenting, you have to do this. No, it's all about how us as parents need to adjust to better parent our children and have more connection with our children. Figuring out our own shit and changing how we look at our children and how we look at motherhood to have a more meaningful relationship that is not based in ego or wanting to have control over our children, focusing on success and, you know, relying on our children to make us happy and so on and so forth. There's just so many great pieces of information and messages in this episode. I am very excited about this episode. I know you're going to love it. So please welcome Dr. Shafali to The Mom Room. All right. So the first question I always ask people who have children is what their transition into motherhood was like. So I'm curious what your answer to that would be. And were there things that you didn't expect that happened in motherhood? Well, yeah, most of my work is inspired by my own journey in motherhood. And the main thing that I did not expect is how much my own fantasies would come into play, mainly because they were being crushed. I had such a vision of my birth and my vision of how I would feel and vision of how the child would be. And none of them came true. And at first I was upset at my partner, at the child, at the journey, at life. And then I realized, wow, it had nothing to do with them and all to do with my own fantasies and how I had set myself up. And that's when I saw how much my ego was in action. And that's how I began to write about conscious parenting, because I saw how unconscious I was and that no one had helped me to, to prepare for the wrath of my unconsciousness and my ego. If someone had told me that, listen, you are full of ego, like how I tell parents now, that this is your ego, this is your ego, this is your ego, it's not your child. Wow, I would have 
just been ready for it. I, I really thought I was the, going to be the most amazing parent, the most selfless parent. So every time I got upset, I never thought it was me. I thought it was my child or somebody else because I'm supposed to be amazing. And it took me several hard hits to realize that it was me. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because that's when I woke up to the epiphany of everybody's unconsciousness and especially parents and then began doing this work and then made conscious parenting a movement, a thing out there. Where do you think this fantasy comes from? Because I think a lot of people resonate with that. Even with me, I had, you know, this idea of what was going to happen when I had my son. And from the second he was born, they put him on my chest and I didn't cry and have this big, like, emotional thing. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why everybody else does? So where do you think as women, this fantasy comes from? And we have these expectations of motherhood that are just not real. Well, I think that the fantasy of this perfect union, right? You are going to give birth effortlessly and your body will just push the baby out and then the baby will just nurse and you will just feel this undying bond. And then the two of you will be this symbiotic, you know, synergistic one entity. And your child will just do as you want. And you have fantasies that, oh, just because I think it, the child will just do it. And then you have fantasies of going to ballerina concerts or horse riding, you know, events and basketball tournaments, whatever. And then no one talks about the fact that most of the time this doesn't happen. And I think it's not so much where does the fantasy come from? It's more is why isn't the fantasy broken enough? Right? Why aren't moms like you and me talking more about how all that is a lie? So I've been doing it, now you're doing it, but when I began doing it, no one was really doing it. And no one is allowed, as moms, especially to admit that we don't know what we're doing. We actually don't even like what we're doing most of the time. We, we, we resent that we have to do it. And there's no space to talk about it. If we were able to talk about it, we'd actually love it even more, right? We'd like it more. But the fact that we have to put up this farce, this idea that we are perfect and my child is so amazing and we are so amazing and we're such a happy family, that puts more pressure on us because we think we have to live up to this undying standard, which is really just the standard. So this book, The Parenting Map that I've now written, it's my fourth parenting book, really, you know, blasts all the lies we've been told into smithereens. And it really gives parents the tools that we never had. We never went to school. No one trained us. No one supervised us. There's no continuing ed. There's no requirement. And so, you know, when I wrote my first three books, people kept begging me, well, where's the how-to book? Give me the how-to, Dr. Shafali. And finally, I've come out with the how-to book. This is the parenting map you wish your kids came home with. Yeah, they should just hand it out at the hospital. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about conscious, and that's the worst word for me to say. I don't know why I have such trouble saying it. Conscious parenting. And there's lots of these different fields or theories of parenting, gentle parenting, respectful parenting. So if someone's listening and they have never heard of what conscious parenting is, can you just give us a little breakdown of what that means? So conscious parenting in a nutshell is the opposite of traditional parenting. So you have to know what traditional parenting is a little bit. It's parenting that most of us were raised in, which is basically based on fear and control. 
and its variations of shame, blame, guilt, and punishment. Conscious parenting is the furthest thing apart from that. It's based on empowerment, connection, worth, autonomy, sovereignty. And the, the premise of traditional parenting is control. The premise of conscious parenting is connection. So the rule in conscious parenting is there's nothing wrong with the child. You just need to help the child. The child is struggling. You don't have to fix the child, create the child, curate the child. The child is not a museum piece. They are not broken. And you need to build on your connection with them. Connection before correction and control. That means that the parent needs to do a lot of work within themselves to raise themselves. So conscious parenting is about the parent parenting themselves as much as they parent their children. I heard you on another podcast talking about, and it's funny because I could relate to what you were saying. If your child gets mad at you and they're like, I hate you or like F you or something. And you were saying that instead of reacting in a way that's, you know, like you're not being respectful and getting upset with the child, you almost feel bad for them because you're like, wow, they're struggling. I have a four-year-old, so obviously it's like meltdown city. It's the same thing. I'm like, oh, like I, I feel bad for him. So I know you talk a lot about how, you know, we shouldn't be punishing our kids, we should be doing something else instead. So what is that thing? And why does punishment not work for children? Or why is it not recommended? Correct. So in the traditional parenting model, punishment was akin to education. People actually thought that's the way to educate your child. So let's beat them, shame them, scold them, because this was what was done to us. No offense to any parent listening to this who just punished their child two minutes ago or even spanked them. I'm not here to bear judgment. I know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you thought this is the best way to educate your child. Well, let me tell you that all psychology, all science, all counseling now says definitively that, that those archaic ways of controlling your children, spanking, yelling, hitting, shaming, screaming, you know, all variations of that literally cause so much trauma in the child and it creates so much unworthiness and dysfunction that it is extremely toxic for the child academically, in terms of their emotional regulation, in terms of their emotional well-being, all across the board. So punishment under no circumstance in the old-fashioned way needs to be done. It's not necessary and it's not educating your child about the ways that you want it to educate, it's actually educating your child that this is a unsafe place, this is a dangerous place, my needs will not be met, don't go to your parents, they will yell at you and harm you, and the way to get control in life is to harm other people, right? So this is what we're passing on and how dangerous that is. So instead of punishment, I talk about how we can negotiate with our children, how we can create win-win situations, how we can partner with our children so that they see us on their team, so that they never have to run away from us. They can always come to us. They know that we are a safe space. We are a safe bet. Isn't that the message we want to give our children rather than the other message where they have to fear us and run away from us and diminish who it is they are in order to feel like they can get by in life? 
on a podcast that you were on, you were talking about, and like my mom did this and she doesn't even realize. I'm like, mom, now that I'm learning so much about parenting and, you know, I have a PhD, I did a lot of attachment stuff. I think back on my childhood and I'm like, mom, like you crushed it. Like you did so good. And one of the things was, I never felt like she was on, if I got in trouble at school, I never felt like she was on the teacher's side. I felt like I could go to her, explain what happened. And sure, she might like be disappointed at the situation or something that I did, but I never felt like she took someone else's side over mine. So it was easier for me throughout my life, even still, I'm 38, to go to her with problems because like you said, the parent should be a safe space and not, oh, if I go and disclose this to my parent, they're going to lash out at me. And so why would you ever go to your parent? Exactly. And then the parent gets more angry when the child lies or steals or doesn't tell them the grades so, because the child is scared. You know, so if we enter the parenting journey with this premise, this definitive premise that our children are good, they are not evil, they're not here to be our enemies, they're not here to manipulate us, they are truly good people trying to be the best, they're struggling, they need help. When we come with that attitude, wow, then our children feel like they have allies in the world, the world is a safe space, and that gives them intense security and a sense of well-being. And that is really so important because that lays the foundation for healthy relationships when they grow older. Otherwise, if the template for a relationship is this dysfunction or unsafety, then this is what they're going to expect from relationships when they grow up. They won't expect it to be any different. Can you talk a little bit about the parental ego, what it is and how it shows up in our parenting, and then... If someone's listening to that and they're like, oh, geez, that's me, how do we get rid of it? (laughs) So the ego is really all the false ways that we adopted in childhood to get our needs met. So all the ways that we used to overachieve, to be super happy all the time or to be cheerful or to be the people pleasers or to be the overgivers, all those ways that we use to compensate our unworthiness we now begin to put on our children and begin to operate from that place. So if we were overgivers, perhaps we want them to be overgivers. Or we were super successful, we want them to be. If we became extroverts, even though our authentic self was to be an introvert, now we expect our children to compensate in the same ways because we have compensated so much. But the thing is, we don't want our children to compensate because the more they have to compensate and adapt, all that energy that goes into compensation and adaption can actually be used to flourish their true self. So we need to allow our true self to be known. And I teach this in the book, The Parenting Map. And we need to allow our children's true self to flourish because without that, our children will develop their own ego masks. We will develop an ego mask. And then we're all just operating out of just this fake false self, which is compensating instead of thriving in its authentic being. What are some things that a parent that was parenting through the lens of that ego, what are some things that would show up for them in parenting? So if the parent is showing up from ego, then that's when they will, you know, overexpose their children to things like achievement or competition or grades because they so want 
that for themselves and that's what they've strived for themselves, that this is what they will put as the markers of success for their children because this is what they have strived so much for. So we have the ego of status, ego of beauty, ego of achievement, competition, grades, talent, right? Showcasing ourselves to the world, ego of being the good one, ego of being the perfect one. Oh my goodness, there's so many ways that the faces of the ego shows up. And then the the five patterns that I talk about in the book, we activate when we are upset are the... If we're upset and we get angry, we activate the pattern of the fighter. If we're anxious, we activate the pattern of a fixer. That's the overdoer, overgiver. If we are attention seeking, then we activate the feigner. And that's the one who likes to showcase all the trophies, all the medals, the stage dad or the stage mom. If you are with the emotion of avoidance and you want to avoid big emotions, then you will activate the ego pattern of a freezer. And if you are so afraid to even be present and you are abandoning yourself all the time, then it will be the ego pattern of a fleer. So I explain these patterns in the book because it's so important as parents to identify, am I doing this? You know, and if I'm doing this, I talk about what it creates in the child, how to stop it. So most of our problems come because we're not even aware. So the main goal that we have to strive towards is awareness. And then we have to break the patterns. And I talk about awareness. I talk about breaking the patterns. And then stage three in the book is all about building connection. Because building connection, like we know in our partnerships, in our intimate partnerships, is not just something you think about. You have to cultivate. You, it's an act of service. It's a verb. It's an action. Similarly with our children, it's daily action. And each of my steps in the book, The Parenting Map, has practice exercises that you can apply to build your muscle over and over again, because this is not something that is going to happen just easily. You have to really practice at this. I caught myself when my son was in soccer. He's four and he did not want to play. And I felt so embarrassed because he wouldn't go on the field. He just was sitting on my lap on the sidelines. And I was like, Renee, check yourself. (laughs) Right. That's how the ego could show up, right? You're like, go join. Why aren't you joining? Why aren't you playing? And oh my goodness. And we're making the child feel that what they want to do is not as important as what we want them to do. Over and over again, though. It's not just, you know, once or twice. And imagine a consistent life of over a decade of being told that what we what we want is not good enough what we want is not important that's what we're doing to our children so then when they're grown up of course now they're dislocated from their worth they don't have this sense of empowerment and they're floundering because we practiced with them how they should give up their worth over and over again after a while i just was like once i realized this was my own problem like he's four he doesn't want to play soccer <laughs> So most of my listeners are moms with little kids. It's common in motherhood to feel like you've lost your identity. You put everything into motherhood. So can you give my listeners a little pep talk about why it's so important for them to live for themselves and kind of detach a little bit from their children and not depend on their children to make them happy? I always say like, you need to live a life outside of your children. 
Yeah, 100%. You know, there's this saying, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Well, that's total bullshit. You shouldn't be as happy as your least happy child. Then you will be probably very miserable because children have meltdowns. They're unhappy all the time. It's okay. It doesn't mean anything more than they are, ex- they are experiencing big emotions. That's it. And children don't know how to feel their emotions. So then they cry, they tantrum, they scream because they are not yet regulated. So yes, your identity is not just that of a mom. Your identity is so much more. Please don't feel guilty if you have a whole life outside your parenting. I worked all through my child's childhood and I can tell you she felt a relief that I always had something to do, that I got joy from. My joy did not depend on my child. And that's so important to communicate to our children that we are okay no matter what. Our sadness, our joy is not tied into theirs. They are free to be sad. They are free to be happy. We will still be steady and okay. That's an amazing message and an embodiment for our children to to model after because they should not feel like our whole life starts and ends with them. That's not healthy for them. That's too much pressure for them. Can you talk a little bit about expectations about like we have children and so now we expect them to fill us like throughout our lives? I know you gave the example of, you know, if your child's an adult now or a teenager and they didn't get you a Mother's Day card, like good for you. That means that they're off living their life like to not expect so much from them to fulfill us. Yeah. So I say that our children don't owe us anything and parents don't like it when I say that because who wants to get something out of obligation? We should only want to receive things that come from joy, come from freedom. So mandating or creating this obligation and guilt toward our children that they should, you know, now take care of us. They should take care of us on Mother's Day. They should call us every day is coming out of, again, control and fear. And control and fear is never healthy in the long run. It can momentarily get you what you want, but it won't be sustainable. You want to build a relationship with your children where they feel free to call you when they want. And the less they call you, frankly, means you've done your job really well because they are out there living their life and they don't need to keep, you know, taking care of mom or checking back with mom. You should raise such resilient, empowered, sovereign beings that they're out there. They've created their own peer support circle. They have their own friends to call on and they have themselves. You know, whenever parents tell me, especially moms, you know, oh, my daughter calls me every day and we're so close. I always cringe because that is not a sign of health. It could be a sign of enmeshment. Your children need to go to their own peers after a certain age, especially to create their own networks and talk to people who are more of their age and their time. Yes, they can come to you and get some advice once in a while, but to be dependent on you is a sign of enmeshment. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. 
The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. You were talking about dropping, I think it was your daughter off at college and how excited you were and all the other parents were like sobbing. <laughs> yeah, I was so, so, so happy and I was so guilty about it because I was looking around me and they were all so miserable. And I was like, are they, are they literally crying? Like this is, a, this is a moment of celebration. This is, this is an indication that you've done your job well, that your child is ready to go. And, you know, if I even dared to look sad, my daughter would pinch me. She'd be like, mom, stop, stop acting like this. It's a good thing, right? This is a good thing. Stop looking so sad because we've glorified this enmeshment. We've ennobled it like as if this is an amazing thing to, to feel like, oh, I'm going to miss my child. Now, of course, you're going to miss them a little bit. But this is something deeper we're talking about where, where, where women especially feel as if their identity has been taken away from them when their child doesn't need them any longer. 
You know, I always say you want to be irrelevant. You want to create irrelevance for yourself. And moms don't like that because we want to be very relevant because this gives us a sense of significance, of power, but it's coming from the ego. It's not true power. The true power we should want is for our children to be free of us and out there living wholesome lives. And if they include us, wonderful, but we are not to be center stage in their life. We cannot keep centering ourselves for the rest of their lives. It made me think of when Milo started daycare because I was like, yes, like I have my days now. I can start focusing on my own stuff. And then everyone else is so upset about their kids starting daycare. And I was like, yeah, the transition was difficult. Like there were some difficult days and moments and stuff. But for the most part, I was so excited. And like you said, I felt almost like a piece of shit because I was so excited for it. But that's normal and it's healthy. It's very healthy and we need to give other moms permission. I'm sure if they got the permission, they would also accept that it's nice to be on our own. And the, the degree to which we don't want to be on our own is the degree to which we don't feel connected to ourselves. And that's not a good thing. Being alone, replenishing ourselves before our children come back is a good thing. And you're allowed to feel those feelings of wanting self-care. Self-care is not a bad mom make. So allow yourself to feel legitimate, feel entitled to self-care. Mm -hmm. And prioritize yourself and your wants and your needs. 100%. So in the parenting map, you lay out 20 steps over three different stages. So I thought you could chat a little bit about each of the stages. And then what I did was I chose some of the steps that I think would resonate with my listeners and we could chat a little bit about those. So the first stage is from frustration to clarity. So what can we learn in that stage? Well, just in a nutshell, that stage is all about the lies that we've taken on from the traditional parenting paradigm, which is such a false and toxic model, and how we can you know, do away with all those lies. So those lies, are some of them are that we parents need to be in control, that we need to raise perfect children, that we need to raise happy children, we need to raise successful children. All these are lies, and we need to do away with that. So in the first section, I really talk about that. In the second section of the book, I talk about how we as parents need to become aware of our ego patterns that I talked about, and we need to break through and break down our dysfunctional patterns from childhood. And then stage three is all about how can we truly connect with our children? What do we do to validate them? How can we empathize with them? How can we reframe their mistakes into deeper connection? How can we not punish them and what to do instead? So I give like 11 steps in stage three on how to connect with your children. So some of the steps that I chose, we talked about this one a little bit, destroy the fantasy. So if someone's listening right now and they find themselves still believing in that fantasy and maybe being disappointed that it's not their reality, what would your advice to them be? Well, you know, it's more in the book, but what I can say just quickly is, it's such a beautiful thing to realize that it was your fantasy. Oh, okay, so it's not my child, it's not my partner, it's not me. It was my fantasy. I thought I could be this perfect mother. Guess what? I have limitations. I thought my partner would be this perfect, you know, prince or princess charming. Oh, they're limited. Oh, my child is limited. All that we are doing when we realize 
that our fantasy is not coming true is that we are real embracing our limitations. And limitations are a good thing to have. They're normal. No human being <laughs> comes without limitations. And of course, we can always grow. But we first have to accept our limitations. And then we can choose to grow or not. We don't have to work on every limitation. And this will be a great message for moms. You know, we moms think we need to be perfect in every area. Not true. You're allowed to have limitations till you die. It's okay to say for the rest of your life, I hate doing jumping jacks or I hate cardio or I hate whatever, reading books. You're allowed to have limitations. No shame, no shade on you. And I think that's what we resist is that we're raising human beings who are ordinary, who are fallible and limited. And that those are not dirty words. It's okay. And we are too. And we are too. Because I'm saying we're living in some fantasy of ourselves. And then we've projected it onto our children. You know, we are not what we expect our children to be. But because we're not, and we've not accepted that, we project it onto our children. If we were okay with ourselves being limited, we'd be okay with everyone being limited. Yeah, I feel like I'm okay with being limited. I remember I made a TikTok that was like the premise of it was about how I hated playing with my child when he was younger. He's four now, so it's getting better. But people on TikTok like were shocked. Like you don't enjoy playing with your, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old. Like why did you have kids then? And I'm like, do you think that's what parenting is? Like I had a child so I could play with him as a toddler? <laughs> right. Well, play, play is very important, but we cannot judge someone. It's not enjoyable. Right. Most people don't like it. Let me tell you, even me, when my daughter used to come with her teddy bears and go, come on, let's go play, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears. I was like, oh my God, somebody rescue me right now. Yeah. Right. So of course, and what you're doing though, is just being honest. And so it doesn't mean that you don't play with your kid. It doesn't mean you will yell at your child. You're just expressing that this is not something you find enjoyable. You're allowed to say that. But as parents, we're so judgy toward each other. And we actually create this very hostile environment where we have to now fake it, which is terrible. And why do you think parents are so judgmental towards one another? I have a theory that it is rooted in insecurity. Like we're all insecure. So if I shame you for what you're doing, I give myself a confidence boost. Exactly. Because I'm thinking this is a big you know, competition. I think this is like, who's got the best kid? It's like, who's got the best car? We're literally taking this as a competition. So if I put you down, then I get more points for myself. But it's so stupid because it's only in our head because there is no competition. Nobody's keeping score. You're not going to win a grand trophy at the end. There is no perfect kid. Guess what? There's no perfect kid. So yeah. what are we, what, what prize are we trying to win? You know, you should give them a copy of my book because I really demystify this whole competition between parents, this shaming that we do to each other, because it's very toxic. But it's really quite comedic, actually, because we're acting like little children wanting to get the biggest slice of the cake, not realizing that there is absolutely no competition because every child is so vastly different and every parent is that different. So forget, I cannot, even for the life of me, if you live next door to me, compete with you. Because my child is a unique unicorn and I'm a unique unicorn. So we, we cannot be matched on any continuum possible. It's not standardized. 
My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. One of the steps was relinquish control. And I feel like a lot of anger or rage that comes for mothers is in those moments where you don't have control and it's like a power struggle. So what do you mean by relinquish control? Right. We enter the dynamic. So imagine if I enter this dynamic with you right now, wanting control, I'll start thinking, wow, she's so bossy. Wow. She's asking me all the questions. She doesn't let me ask any questions. I mean, it'll be so ridiculous, but, but it's like that. We're entering the dynamic, wanting control. The minute we enter, enter the dynamic wanting control, we are looking for reasons to to feel like we are in a competition, right? But if I enter the dynamic to, to be in surrender to the flow, like we are actually being right now, then it's beautiful. Then there's no, nobody's winning or losing. There is no threat because I'm not looking at you as a threat. I'm not starting the dynamic on the wrong foot. And that's what I help parents get in this book, The Parenting Map, is look, you're starting the dynamic wrong, people. You're entering the room wrong. You know, I used to check my energy before I even opened the door because I could feel my stress and my anxiety. And I knew that the minute my child just smelled it, my child would create a defense, right? Because I'm so obnoxiously anxious that I make it all about me. So I used to have to, you know, de-escalate before I came home, calm down, enter joy. I used to tell myself, she's not my puppet when I walked in. She's not my slave. You cannot just burst into the house and then tell her, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this. Right? I wanted to just command her so I could just have a clean, peaceful life. But I just keep reminding myself, this is a being. She has her own moods. She's going to be on her own timetable. You cannot control her. <laughs> you know, I used to really train my muscle 
And that's what I teach, you know. No one taught me this. I had to do it for myself because conscious parenting was not a thing out there. So now it's such a popular thing and I'm so grateful. But this book will help parents even more to break down what it really means, how they can apply it and practice every single day of their lives. The fact that parents always demand respect from their children, like that's always a huge thing, right? Like, oh, they're being disrespectful. Does that kind of fall under this relinquish control thing? Correct, correct. I mean, literally, I could think you're being disrespectful right now. (laughs) Correct? Because you can look at anything as disrespect if you have a big chip on your shoulder, right? If you're coming out to somebody or to to a dynamic with this feeling of, in ingrained threat. Oh, she better she better do it this way. Or is she trying to manipulate me? Or is she trying to get one up on me? If you're coming with this suspicion or this attitude that, oh, she better do what I say. She better do as I want. That attitude is going to immediately create resistance in the other person and in you. And before you know it, you're going to feel disrespected because you've set it up with such high expectations that unless that person like literally is your robot, they are going to mess up and then you're going to be like, aha, see, see how disrespectful you are. I mean, once I was in a session with a client and his, her daughter, her son, and her son was like 12 years old. At one point, the mother said, see, see, Dr. Shvali, do you see what I mean? And I said, what, what happened? And she said, you missed it. I said, what did I miss? So she said, he just rolled his eyes at me. And I was like, whose eyes? And she's like, his eyes. I go, okay, whose eyes were they? And she's like, his eyes. She wasn't getting my point, right? So I was like, oh, they were his eyes. She's like, yes. So I said, oh, he has no right over his eyes. And she's like, but that is disrespectful. I said, no, he can do what he wants with his eyeballs. You don't have to interpret it in any way. And the best way to interpret it is to ask yourself, why is he rolling his eyes? Meaning, what have I done? that is causing this poor boy to feel bored or to feel resentful. How about we go deeper instead of just bringing our big fat egos into the dynamic and making it all about us? We're always making it about us. Like I was just thinking as you were explaining that there's a perfect way for them to connect. Let's try and understand why he rolled his eyes and work through that. But when we come from this superior attitude that I know best, I know what's right, I'm in control, obviously then you're not going to look at yourself. You're going to think that it's the other one's fault, the other one who's wrong. Let's fix the other. And that's so toxic for our children. Can you talk a little bit about the savior complex and what that means? So the savior complex means that we have given ourselves this (laughs) job of being our children's, you know, ultimate rescuers, as if we're playing the hand of God. And we almost think that we are these martyred, selfless human beings who literally are doing our children a favor at every point. And because we're doing them a favor, you know, they are obligated to us and they owe it to us to allow us to come in and just rule the roost, you know, run the game and manage everything. And we have this complex about us that without us, none of this would happen. Without us, our children wouldn't even survive. And while that's true on some physiological level, because they are small and helpless, but it's not true on a soul level, right? We did not have children in order to save them. We had children in order to teach them how they can save themselves. 
So we, we come from these deep insecurities, wanting significance, wanting our children to depend on us. Believe it or not, we want them to depend on us because it makes us feel powerful. And so I talk about all this and breaking all this down and because that's the only way to come out the other end with a deep sense of connection. Okay, the last step I'll ask you about is facing your triggers. And can you explain what that is? I feel like the word trigger is so widely used now. What do you mean by triggers in this example? The way I talk about it is that there are no real triggers on the outside. They are only events. The event could be a person, place, or thing. The trigger is always on the inside. So the person, place, or thing, which I call in the book things, can certainly happen and we don't have to like them. But the degree to which we are triggered has to do with our inner situation. So if we're filled with water and we're calm and we're flowing, then the traffic jam is not going to bother us. But if we just got fired from work, then the traffic jam is going to bother us a lot. And if we just got fired from work and we cut ourselves and we're bleeding, oh my goodness, we're going to be explosive. So it all depends on the inner terrain. And that is where the trigger really happens. Otherwise, the outside events are neutral to some degree. And the way we know that is because some people will respond to a traffic jam with an X and somebody will respond with a Y. Just by that fact, we can, we can know that it's never the outside thing, person, place, or thing. It's always how it interacts with us on the inside. I can confirm this because I always say there's some days I have so much patience. Like it could be meltdown city 24-7 and I'm just like dealing with it like the best possible way. So proud of myself. And then another day there could be one interaction, one situation, and I react. And so I know it's a me thing. It's not what's happening. It's me. 100%. Exactly. So that's what I talk about in this book. So if parents want to make it their best journey possible, then they have to read this book, go through the steps, do the exercises. This is how I work with my clients. 24-7, I've been doing this for three decades now. I started in my early 20s. I'm 50 now. So I know this stuff in and out. I teach it. I practice it. I have a coaching institute where I train people to become coaches. So the, the tips and strategies you get in this book are invaluable. They come from my decades worth of experience with parents. I highly recommend it. Everything that you say, I'm just like, yes, yes. <laughs> so my last question for you before I let you go Obviously, it's the Mom Room podcast. A lot of my listeners are moms with young children. You have an older child. You have one child? Yes, one daughter. She's 20. Okay. So what would your advice be for moms with young children who are kind of in the thick of it? Well, you know, it will pass. They will become more independent. Take a lot of care of yourself. Don't bother about the millions of activities. That is not what's going to make your children beautiful and successful and empowered. It's your presence with them, how much fun you guys have. Keep it simple. Don't overburden your schedule because all that will just exhaust you and there's no need for that. I love it. So 
The parenting map can be found everywhere, I'm assuming, because it's wildly popular. I highly recommend everybody go pick up a copy. Where can they find you online if they want to just consume more of your content? They can go to drdrshefali.com. And on Instagram, it's Dr. Shefali, but the doctor is spelled out. Yeah, and find a lot of my courses, a lot of information. I have free workshops, a lot of meditations, and grab a copy of The Parenting Map. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> <laughs>